This is Resist and Renew. The UK-based podcast about social movements. What we're fighting for, why, and how it all happens. The hosts of the show are... Me, Kat. Uh, me, Sammy. And me, Ali. I'm recording this now, baby. Shit, it's a podcast! <laughs> <laughs> Hi, everyone. Just a quick note from me before we get started on the episode unfortunately um the audio quality isn't the best on all of our tracks for this episode um but please do bear with us because it is really worth listening to um now over to sammy to actually start the episode right so uh welcome everybody to the resistance new podcast um I am stoked today that we are interviewing um, a group of people from No More Exclusions, who I will get to introduce themselves in a second. But to kick us off, I will explain who No More Exclusions are. Um, They are an abolitionist grassroots coalition movement um, focused around education. Their mission is to bring about an end to the persistent race disparities in school education in the next five years and to affect change at legal policy, practice and cultural levels in education and society as a whole over the next 10 years, bold aims, and they want an education system that works for everybody. So not a small task. Uh, it would be great if you can all uh, introduce yourselves. Um, now, uh, Kadeem, you good to kick us off? Yeah, no problem. Um, so my name is Kadeem. Um, I've been organizing with a number of students um, over the last three years or so. Um, I'd consider the work of normal institutions um, closely in line with my life's work. Um, maybe seen as a troublesome student growing up now, but obviously through that experience, I can see where the unaddressed issues are with the process of exclusion and kind of what we need to do about stopping them. Amazing. Thanks, Kadeem. Uh, Nirat. Yeah, thank you for having us on. Uh, my name is Nerad. I'm 22. I'm calling in from, from Birmingham, where I grew up. Uh, I've been organizing with Number Exclusions, mainly as part of the youth group, for the past two years. Since, um, I graduated from university last year. And it was really um, during that time I was introduced, or at least I thought I was introduced to abolition, but really without the, um, these past two years of being part of normal exclusions, as well as other groups, um, I wouldn't have developed uh, understanding of abolition as it applies to the UK and as it applies to uh, the so-called education system. Amazing. Thank you, Nirat. And last but not least, Zara. Hey, um, I'm Zara, pronouns she, her. I'm a recovering teacher, all one word. Um, I am one of the co-founding members of No More Exclusions. Um, and No More Exclusion is going to be three years old. So I've been here from the start next month. And um, I'm also a parent, uh, I'm also a trade unionist, and uh, a PhD student. Amazing, thank you everybody. And also, like, I just realised, because I'm doing this introduction, that we haven't mentioned that Catherine is also here. Classic, classic Resistance Renew podcast person. Um, so, 
Um, uh, Kadeem, can you kick us off? What what is what's going on with exclusions in the UK at the moment? Like, what is the situation that you are as a collective facing? Oh, I'd say like as a collective, um, and through my personal experience as well, there's a there's a real race disparity when it comes to exclusions who's being excluded and why they're being excluded, the reasons young people are being excluded and over-policed in the classroom as well. I think, um, obviously, through some of the reading that I've done, looking at Bernard Ford's and even the figures that we drew up over the pandemic, it's clear to see that it's an evident and significant problem that I am sure the people in power are aware about, but they don't necessarily want to do something about addressing it, the high rates of exclusions and um, the reasons behind the exclusions as well. I don't think enough care and emphasis is put on the family or the child in terms of finding out reasons why they might be struggling to learn. Amazing, thank you. Uh, Zara, take it away. Yeah, so... Um, there was a report that came out, I think, last week by Agenda on um, the exclusion of Black Caribbean girls. And we know that that's one of the fastest rising groups in terms of exclusion. And um, But historically, the, the disparities have really, really focused on boys, Black boys in particular, and in particular, Caribbean boys. And what what do we know in terms of, like, what are these disparities? Well, we know that they are up to three, sometimes up to six times more likely to be excluded, and particularly so where, um, where there are particular intersections. So when you're looking at race intersecting with class, um, disability, um, um, and gender, when those four things in particular, I think one of the, the, the figures that's often quoted is that um, a black uh, boy with special educational needs and disabilities on free school meals is 168 times more likely to be excluded than a white girl uh, not on free school meals without special education needs and disability. And, um, and anyone can, can kind of Google that. And it's one of the things that, you know, is often quoted. In terms of the generics, I know this, there is some there is some false information in particular. I've seen trolls on Twitter that kind of like spreading basically what is fake news. You know, these like, I've made up a chart myself. There is no such thing as a race disparity in, you know, in school exclusions. Actually, white kids are more excluded. Well, they would be more excluded because the majority of the population is white. So nobody's saying that, but we're talking about disproportionalities, right? So we're talking about uh, the ratio. Um, and we're talking about um, something that is really long-standing. I want people to know that this is decades long. It's not a new problem. It's not something that suddenly happened the last few years. It's not just because of austerity, although austerity has made it worse. Um, it's not just because of the pandemic that we've seen. Ex- Do you know what I mean? It, this is something that is historically posited uh, and very deeply rooted in the way this society is structured and the way education functions in this country. So. Yeah, that's. I hope that gives a bit of of the of the context. Um, but what if I can? Because it's really important um, to kind of since I've described the um, I made that comparison. Um, 
black pupils, so that everyone listening knows, are more likely to be disciplined more frequently and more harshly for less serious behaviour. This is all research-based, there's plenty of evidence and, and we can provide tons of links, people are interested. Less likely to be praised than other pupils, treated in differential ways that can be observed very early on in, ch in child's education. Even Akala, in his natives book, chapter three, talks about this. Um, more likely to be excluded for violent incidents, stereotyped as threatening, expected to be worse behaved, and perceived um, as a greater threat and challenge by teachers. Um, and when you put all of that together, the differential treatment is, um, is whether it's intentional, intentional, because people often talk about, well, you know, um, unconscious bias is not intentional. To me, I, first of all, I don't believe in unconscious bias anymore, because at this stage now, as I often say, Anyone who's still unconscious must be comatose. There's no reason for anyone to not be aware of what's going on in terms of, in education I'm talking about, anyone who's got an interest in education in terms of curriculum, in terms of, you know, policy, anything like that. Um, the people in power and authority, no. They know exactly what's going on. The reviews have been done and again and again. And so this is willful uh, institutional uh, neglect really what's going on yeah thank you for that i think that's a really important point and i think like because people can talk about like structural racism and stuff a lot but like it can be quite hard to conceptualize what that means to like imagine what it is that looks like in practice but like this is what it looks like in practice right the stuff that you're talking about like it's kids being more likely to be disciplined it's talking about people being more likely to be like not praised for the work they're doing as well as obviously like when you're talking about real structural impacts like exclusion um, and, uh, and, uh, and sorry just so that because this is also okay, really sorry. important when you're talking about the profile of the if that even exists the average excluded black child they are actually la less likely to be uh on the special educational needs and disability register to have been identified so there's a whole raft of kids who are getting excluded who have gone under the radar haven't been assessed and their needs haven't been met they, they are less likely, actually, to be on free school meals. They're less likely to have had previous exclusions, so much more likely to be, to get their, you know, in what, on, um, get uh, excluded as a one-off, right? And, uh, you know, as a result of a one-off incident. Also, less likely to have poor attendance, less likely to have a criminal record or to be in care. So a lot of those disadvantages, right, that... Um, you see with ex the excluded average white child don't, aren't necessarily visible or apparent. Um, so again, you know, what does that signal? No, I think that's a really good point. I think that's a really good point. Thank you, Zara. Um, and um, Kadim, you were saying like that you see this as a thing that's like links to state violence. Could you talk a little bit more about that? Oh uh, yeah, when I, when, I, when I say that, I'm basically talking about um, the presence of labelling and how that can play a role in um, criminalisation and not decriminalisation. And I think that should kind of play a more um, significant role in kind of helping people rather than finding reasons to lock them up. So um, from secure schooling to special provisions and alternative provisions, obviously surveilling, surveilling young people is generally um, the overarching theme. 
and on that's cameras on every corner, not to mention on site and in some academies, police on site. So I don't I don't think that does well for vulnerable young people to have um that feeling and neurodiverse people as well of always being watched. I don't think it does well for um just how you view crime and um, just, just control and discipline in general and how averse you are to, to punishment. So, um, yeah, that's what I mean by state violence because I feel like it's um, a state of mind that's kind of engineered with young people. So that's that's my view on, on that and, and maybe why I was excluded. No, I think, that's, no I, think, I think that's a really helpful lens. Thank you so much for bringing it in. So... Uh... It would be really helpful, I think, for people who aren't as familiar with the ideas that you're mentioning, like not expecting you to get into loads of detail now because a lot of it already like people can Google later. But if you could just talk a little bit more specifically about like exclusion, because that may be a little bit like a dispassionate term, I guess, if you've not witnessed it for what by the by what's been described is quite a violent act. So like, could you describe a little bit like what is exclusion? Like literally what happens? What does it look like? Does that make sense? Yeah, it definitely makes sense. Me, I personally think exclusion is a hate crime and um, it's an authorised unlawful action, so to speak, because um, young people support like 36 and a half hours education a week and um, by excluding them, obviously they're not meeting that legal requirement and the local authorities don't necessarily... Um, do anything to correct that. So unequal outcomes are, are known about from kind of very early on. So I, I, I definitely know that that process of exclusion, um, taking someone out of class for, I've been excluded for um, coming in a couple minutes late and rustling with my bags and getting my pencils out and getting ready for class or um, asking too many questions, even though you're, you're, you're in school to learn. So um. I don't, I feel like um, the negative outcomes are disproportionate and excessive for um, the minor infractions. And obviously when um, you get older and it's other, um, other people in authority, um, obviously it's a lot more difficult to handle take it in because of you've never been listened to in that position before if he was if he was excluded. So um there's things like managed moves as well. Like where school kind of try to go around you as a young person and I'd say lie to your parents and create a false narrative. Because obviously when you're a, a young person being excluded it's it's easier for the teacher to kind of, um, yeah, create create a false narrative and 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 um, get a few other teachers complaining about minor things, kind of authorize those exclusions. And yeah, I think I think I'll answer, somewhat. Yeah, no, you definitely did. Thank you, Kadeem. That's really helpful. And I. Th- there's, there's, there's so much in there that we could chat about, but uh, I'm conscious that people tend to like 
podcast episodes that are less than like three hours long so i'm gonna stop <laughs> stop asking your questions I'm like oh we could talk about like hate crimes and all this kind of stuff no i'm gonna keep my opinions on hate crimes to myself Catherine, uh over to you thanks sammy um so yeah thanks so much for sharing all of that uh, information and background and experiences with us um we just want to turn now to ask about what no more exclusions is about um and nirad i'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit about enemy for, for sure. The thing I realized myself stressing to other people over this past summer when I've been talking to them in Birmingham is that uh, the standout feature to me of NME beyond its principles that are outlined uh, on, on the different publications we've put out is that we're intergenerational. Even the people who are here today, there's a, a difference in age amongst all of us. And that not only brings a different experience, right? Schooling in the 70s versus schooling now, but it also brings a different sense of how we were formed to face the struggles that we face, right? The, the current situation is affecting someone who's a lot younger than someone a lot older. And that changes how they'll approach the situation. And so that's why the decentralized structure kind of works for us because it means that people are able to add to and ask questions of, even if we don't always um, recognize it, we're always able to ask questions of each other uh, in a very creative way because of that structure. Uh, what organization is about it's, it's I think Zara was saying three three years old this year is that right Zara three and a half four three years so it's been it's, it came out of a moment of crisis one that is is particularly intense now whether we look at the international war baiting that the UK is trying to get involved in and actively being a part of, or we see the very um, the speculation that is causing a lack of fuel, a lack of food to more people than it was before. It's a moment of crisis. But then more than that, enemy is about developing some kind of power. So if you develop power, it's not just a one-way process. It also means that power has to be taken away from people, people who currently have it. I'm thinking about uh, these gurus who are, who are either self-anointed or anointed by the government. And I can't just get past the fact that guru is another word appropriated from Hindi, appropriated from Punjabi, and then used. Um, to signify some kind of natural um, enemies about disruption. It's about saying that, no, that's not natural. Whether it's race, that's not a natural way of organizing ourselves. It's also not a progressive or um, not a progressive way of organizing ourselves human to human, however we end up framing it. So it's about disruption, about being interge intergenerational and creative. And it's also about recognizing that we're in a crisis and that that's the essence.
Thanks so much for sharing all that, Nirad. And yeah, I think the thing that I'm drawn to ask a bit more about is talking about you building power. And I'm wondering if you can share with us a few of the ways that maybe No More Exclusions does that. That can be for anyone as well, actually. Yeah, Kadeem. I, I want to say, yeah. Uh, um, you're giving a voice to the voiceless. And I think um, over the next year, we're going to be dealing a lot with arts and culture. So um, I do a lot of poetry and spoken words. So um, yeah, yeah, I got my mom in the background. I would, I mean, the, the culture is so important. I want to emphasize some of the things we're not, not doing. We're not a CIC, we're not a charity, we're not project-based. Because project-based implies that the direction is coming from elsewhere or that the people that you're working with are fundamentally incapable of doing that work for themselves if you were not there in the first place, right? Which is the most regressive elements of even the, the movements, that, the, the revolutionary movements that we can study. That was one of the things that held, that we can critique. Amazing. Uh, that was a really good answer. Uh, and I enjoyed it. You made me think about, um, there's there's like the term, it's really like uh, popped off in use a lot in the last um, year and a bit, but like the old um, anarchist idea of like mutual aid feels like really crucial in that bit now. It's not about like a group of people doing stuff for an, a helpless other group of people. It's about like people coming together to do stuff for themselves and each other. And like, that really feels like it links to that idea of like building power. So thank you for sharing that. Uh, Kadeem, did you want to yeah, as well? About, about mutual aid. I was going to say, yeah, like I've been involved as well in, in providing mutual aid with um, an organization in Lambert, the Soul Shack. So, um, yeah, over the last couple of years, I've been running um, summer programs for young, young people and also like a food bank as well every weekend. So, um, I thought that was definitely worth mentioning. And um, yeah, things going on. Amazing. And I think that's like, and I think that really is a thing that strength can really strengthen groups, right? Like when the people that are involved also have these like links and connections and things like that to other struggles and like, you mentioned around around like 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 looking at the history of other struggles and building that in like all of these things together are what really makes like a like a resilient uh, dynamic good getting shit done group uh so uh thank you so much for that um so i mean we're kind of transitioning over to the next question we were going to ask you anyway which is around like could you talk a little bit about what are the projects that you do have like going on like what are you focusing on in your work and why that thing you mentioned like doing some culture stuff as maybe a thing you're going to start doing more of but maybe there's a lot of other things going on i get the vibe that no more exclusions does a lot of stuff kadeem do you want to start i just wanted to say yeah uh, basically um in terms of like a, a personal journey of education obviously being excluded removed um erased from two primary schools Obviously, I had kind of a personal issue with um, the education system or a hostile environment created by the education system because 
I never had an issue with learning. Um, so I guess my life was kind of always trying to tussle that um, juxtaposition. And obviously, um, being a part of normal exclusions, obviously. Um, so I used to, well, I'd say it's escapism. Uh, I'm a gamer. I'm a gamer by, by profession. And so I studied game design, creative media. But um, I guess being involved with normal exclusions and um, understanding root causes and getting confirmation as well for something that I would have been gaslighted to not have believed before or maybe would have been isolated in that thought. Being a part of the collective kind of brought some of those things um, to the surface a bit more. And I was going somewhere else with the end of that. But I think that's a good, good place just to, to end that point. Yeah. Tantalizing. Leaving us wanting more. I love it, Kadeem. <laughs> um, does anyone else want to come in on that question of like what are you like what are you focusing on in, in, in the day to day of no more exclusions at the moment? Uh Nirad, Zara? I can say a little bit. Please do. So enemies um conceptualize as a coalition and, and that's because um first of all in the words of um, anti-Audrey Lord, uh, no one, is, and I'm paraphrasing, nobody, no, you know, we don't leave single issue lives. Um, and that's really important. So the work that we, have, we do, we have to do it uh, in recognition that, you know, of difference, you know, something that we talk about a lot. So although our focus is on racial justice and, you know, race disparity, um, we recognise that there are disabled people, children that are excluded. We recognise that there are gender issues that we have to uh, grapple with in different ways. Um, we recognise, um, you know, class disparities as well and, and, and all of that. Um, and, all of, and all of that as well. And beyond that, you know, sexuality, we haven't talked about, but that's another area of work as well. Um, another area of suppression in the education system. So... And in society still, you know, so um, really important that we look at uh, who can we work with and build those alliances and build those partnerships. So a lot of my time is actually spent um, strengthening relationships, um, caring for other people, checking in, um, meeting people, talking to, if I can, talking to people, um, finding out what we can do for them and, you know, how they can help us and and how can we build power together, um, what, you know, discussing strategies, tactics. Um, so a lot of the work is relational and a lot of the work is centred around care. Like, what do people need? Is You know, there's a lot of... Um, Kadim's touched upon mutual aid. You've touched about this earlier. A lot, a lot of us are, you know, affected ourselves by a lot of the systems of oppressions that we're fighting against. So a lot of us are in precarious work. A lot of us are out of work. A lot of us are, you know, um, dealing with like um, heightened threat of like because of chronic diseases and illnesses that we've got and so on. Um, and we're not we know the state isn't taking care of that. And so we have to take care of each other um, in whatever way we can. So that's how a lot of the time is spent. And for example, just today, just to give an example, I was talking to um, uh, um children and young people, uh, mental health uh, centre 
who have got similar concerns to us. Like we are really, I'll talk about the moratorium in a sec, but we're really concerned about the state of children, in, of everybody, but particularly the state of children and young people's mental health right now. Like that is a huge concern of ours um, as, a, as a coalition movement in education. Um, and the government doesn't really seem to give a shit about that. So we have to give a shit. Um, yeah, so just talking to, you know, our friends and supporters within the mental health fields, you know, psychologists, who themselves, I'm hearing terrible stories of how themselves, their workload is through the roof, the level of need has never been seen before. You're not hearing these narratives because they're getting suppressed. Um, uh, they're not, you know, people like educational psychology are supposed to look after children in schools or, uh, or, or families can't cope. Um, and they come to us, some of them have come to us because their own children are getting excluded because they're not coping. Um, so it's it's tough. It's really, really tough. Um, and that's what we do. So relational work, building partnership, checking in on each other, trying to help each other with meeting our basic needs and beyond because we're not just about basic needs. We're not just about survival. But a lot of our work is often centred around survival, I have to say, and like trauma Trauma care, dealing with it, because it's trauma. Like being out of work is traumatizing. Like poverty is traumatizing. Um, not being able to leave your house because you're worried, you're still really worried about catching this virus. You know, all these things are really difficult. Having lost like my own family, two members, all these things are really hard. Um, and I don't think we are being. Um, no, I'm not we as a community, but I like like the state isn't being honest with us and. <laughs> about the scale of it you know they just want us to get on with it you know the stiff upper lip get on with it yes we're not really looking after anyone so what you know everyone's gonna get herd immunity soon kind of thing well it's not gonna happen um and, and we don't want it to happen because we we no one's disposable like that No, I think that's really important. I think that's really crucial. I think it's like, because I th I, and I think it's just really honest, right? Because like not because the way that you describe your work as being like how a lot of it does need to be focused on like the kind of like in like like internal like care focused work and like trauma support and things like that. Like it's just it's just not honest to not acknowledge that as part of like the crucial central work of groups that are like organizing people because like a lot of people are traumatized by a lot of the social structures that like cause all the harms that we're organizing against like it's not it's just not honest to pretend like those things aren't happening to us right they are and they need to be taken into account when we're doing stuff together and when we come together and struggle so i think it's really uh really valuable that you name yeah that. and all the time trying to push those changes that you talked about at the beginning when you introduced NME, trying to, for example, push the union, the National Education Union, to like work uh, on not being complicit, you know, to kind of encourage teachers not to be racist, uh, to, to have their training. Uh, if, and if they can't cope with it, maybe 
you know, I, I say this openly, like when, everywhere I go, I'll keep saying it, you know, like teaching is a massive, massive privilege. So if people aren't willing, teachers aren't willing to keep learning and change and grow, then they need to get the fuck away from children, like seriously, really quickly as well. Um, so if we, we keep doing, you know, if we keep getting the same outcomes, um, and the changes that have been, the so-called changes, the reforms that have been implemented aren't helping, then maybe we need to do things differently, you know, which is why we are pushing for radical change as opposed to reformist change. Yeah. Amazing. Thank you. Okay. We, uh, but I see, yeah, so I, so, I mean, so it sounds like you've got a lot of stuff going on, like a lot of internally focused stuff. You've got like your youth group that does stuff, mentioned all of these, these like creative projects and things like that. So like, sounds like there's a lot. A lot going on. We're also pushing, um, trying to push for legal change. Um, the, the, okay, the, speak about that for the, Yeah, so when we first came together, and I know this is not going to sound radical to the radicals. They're going to go, what are you talking about? The law is never going to protect us, never going to make us safe. Like, we know this. Hello? It's just part of the tools. We know this. But um, we, are, we, don't, we don't exist outside of legal frameworks, right? So um, our children and young people exist in schools because the law mandates that it should be in school, right? And if parents don't send their kids to school, they get fined and, you know, all these things. So it would be dishonest um, to, to say, well, you know, we don't engage with, like, legal change. But as long as, it's, as, long as we don't pin our hopes for liberation on the law, I think, um, that's okay. So we wanted to change the law. The uh, currently, as it stands, the 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 law the the, the mandates that uh, stipulates that, that it's head teachers who have the right to exclude. It's only head teachers. It's not deputy heads. It's not teachers themselves. I'm talking about permanent exclusion, by the way, because there's a myriad ways in which you can exclude people. You know, exclusionary practices of you know. But we're talking about you know your outs which is the most extreme form um, of school ex of, of, of uh, punishment that you can apply to young people in education. It used to be caning, you know, I suppose, physical uh, sanctions. But now it's this, you know, you just physically remove someone. And, um, and all that that entails, you know, like deprive them of the sense of belonging, ostracization, all the research on what that does to animals when you take them away from their peer groups and the social groups, uh, the harm, it's long-term damage. It actually physically changes the structure of your brain. People experience physical pain when they're taken away from their peers. Um, all of that. Um, so that's why the law is really important. I think it's more of an acknowledgement because also we are aware that Laws exist and they are routinely ignored. So, you know, you could change the law and then schools could still exclude, right? So again, we're not fooling ourselves into thinking that if we ever get there, when we get there, um, that will fix everything. It won't. Hence why we also need to do work on policy. In, and that is, means at institutional level, like trying to influence the way the field works, the way academics work, teachers work, trainers work, uh, teacher education, universe, all of that. Um, and ultimately schools, right? And, um, and then the bigger thing is cultural. Unless we see a cultural shift, we, unless we, we, we grow um, in, you know, within an environment that culturally actually deems it to be unacceptable, unthinkable, abhorrent, nothing will change. You can change all the policies and the laws you like. The culture is the bottom line. But the question is, 
does the culture need to change first or does the law which comes first right we don't mind and we don't care we're going for all of it right but one way or another whether the law changes and then the culture has to catch up or whether we make it uh, unconscionable to exclude and then the law catches up whenever it does we don't mind ultimately the school exclusions will be abolished in this country in our lifetime and way sooner than that i mean that's a mic that's a mic drop moment right there. <laughs> I, think, I think like yeah i think there's like some really interesting like strategic conversation in there right in terms of like um which different strategies are the best ways to to achieve the goals that you want and i think the attitude that you've got is the very sensible one of like i don't know so let's just do more than one <laughs> because like, i don't know which kind of thing is going to be the most effective so let's make sure we struggle on multiple fronts in terms of culture in terms of trying to push for legal change in terms of policy work in terms of building power like and i think that's a really and i think that's it's i i, I love i love seeing no more exclusions in the work that you're doing because i think like it's it feels like a good model sorry we haven't even talked about like parent power that's huge right pa that is untapped power you know yeah. um and we work to develop that to build capacity in the community that's why we have our parent forums and that's why i was talking to our friend today you know from the from the coalition for mental health children young people mental health because they have similar concerns to us that there are many particularly the racialized working class parents um so-called working class whatever that means right um that are being left out of having the tools that are disempowered um marginalized disrespected not listened to they and then and then they have the audacity to say those are hard to reach families really hard to reach or just you know or just you don't give a damn about and you would rather not hear from them you know so um yeah, so the, like developing parent power is really important and uh, and the curriculum. I mean, I, I, don't, I can't go into it, um, but the curriculum is key as well because kids are bored. Students are bored. Like school is just irrelevant uh, to a lot of young people. They're just like, you know what? The knowledge and skills we need for life, we aren't being taught. And you're just teaching us lies. And you're teaching us to be like, you're teaching us to be competitive with each other. And to, you know, to value ourselves according to what grades we get. And then two summers in a row, exams have been cancelled and everybody's saying, well, it's no big deal. <laughs> but you've, you've literally taught us for 16 years, 18 years that it's all about exams. And suddenly you decided exams aren't important. So there's a lot of cognitive dissonant pieces we need to pick up after the pandemic in relation to what is education for? You know, who is it for? What do we do with it? Um, yeah, we could go on and on talk about the purpose of education, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, I wish we could go on and on. I feel like there's so much more to unpack and there's to explore. There's a lot more. Um, maybe we need a second episode and we will go into it. Um, <laughs> we will go into it. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's incredible hearing about all the different fronts that you are working on in with this topic. It's just, yeah, thanks so much for telling us. Um, and I guess what, what we're going to do now is, is shift a bit to the internal workings of, of No More Exclusions um, in that uh, as a facilitation collective, we're really interested in how groups work as well as what work you do. Um, and 
yeah, a lot of social justice groups, a lot of abolitionist groups are really values driven. Um, and we're really wanting to hear a bit about how you practice some of those values in terms of the way that you you organize um, sort of within within no more exclusions. So I'm just wondering if um, if someone would like to share, uh, it would be great to hear from you about about that in terms of values in practice. Communication is is really important for it, especially if we're um, if we're decentralized to an next to an extent. Really trying to communicate with one another, as I mentioned it at the beginning a few minutes back, of what they were saying. And it leads us to this because it's kind of saying uh, we need to know first the very basics, like what's the best way to reach this person then what's the best way of making sure that we're not imposing themselves on on them um i know communication is something that i i really struggle with even with people i'm in an organize like i organ like organize with who who i could call friends or who, com who i could call comrades um to the extent where a, there's this there's this young young person i've been seeing outside of a mcdonald's when i when i'm doing deliveries and i'm like it's the second time I've seen them now when they they should be at school and it's and it's the situation where like I should have spoken to someone in enemy about that being like what would be the best way to intervene that's the benefit of having the organization at the same time I realize I haven't been doing that after this I can go and find someone probably someone who's slightly older than myself to be like in that moment what's the best way to intervene because you also don't want to again um imply that 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 young person hasn't made a set of choices um in response to stuff that people have already told them so it's not about doubling down in the hope that if you keep grinding and grinding it will happen but i'm kind of waffling communication is the essence and it goes back to how the teacher stands at the front the students that uh, passively receive we don't want to reproduce that amongst ourselves yeah absolutely and like just even thinking about like how you might reproduce that and reflecting on like how could i not reproduce that and what would be a different way to intervene like just feels like just the thinking about that feels like such a a way of putting that value into practice um so yeah thanks so much for sharing that um, I'm wondering if anyone else has something they'd like to share on, on values in practice. Um, yeah, Zara, great. So I was just thinking about the obvious one, social justice and solidarity, those two values in particular. So um, everyone's got a different interpretation of what they mean by social justice, I find, um, which is not a bad thing. But to us, what it, one thing that it means, it means decentralization and deconstructing de 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 hierarchies. Um, and I'm not just talking about formal hierarchies. I'm talking about all hierarchies. Um, because what that breeds, it breeds division control. It stifles creativity. It kind of really limits possibilities for change. Because uh, people think, well that's not my job or it's not for me to think about, somebody else will do it, somebody else will think about that. Um, that's not my role, do you know what I mean? So for us, I think the, the but it's not, I don't wanna give like a, a, like a, a romanticized version of, of that because it, it can be challenging. Like we've all 
been raised in hierarchical, whether it's the family structure, whether it's schools, whether it's church, mosque, community, whatever, there's always seems to be somebody in charge, in control, and uh, or we can be briefly in control or think we are in control, uh, but there's always somebody above, right? So really, I think there's a, a, the, what we're trying to do with, 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 with our decentralized structure is to constantly work on like, communication is key because if we're not talking to each other about how we feel and the process of unlearning and how difficult that is, because it's so entrenched, you know, um, this idea that somebody, somebody above me that will take care of it or is responsible for something. We are all responsible for each other and for all of the work. Doesn't mean we all do everything, obviously not, but it just means that, that it doesn't work like that. And also um, the, 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 in, within that, there has to be an element of like fairness, otherwise it's not really social justice. So, you know, the ones who have more time have less kind of like, um, are less impacted by these systems of oppression, you know, so allies within the collective and so on, you know, for them to think about, like we do a lot of work on positionality from the start, we get people to think about when they join us, right, okay, what, what is your positionality? How, what are your principles coming in? And how, how do those principles and values align with enemy? Like, have you read the website? Are you, are you sure you know what you're getting into? Because we center the voices of young black people who've been excluded. Like, that's who we center. They, they even have a final say in decision-making, actually. When, when we, you know, um, we can't come up to a, a, a consensus. So... Sociocratic elements in what we do, you know, decisions by consensus, work strands, decentralization, local chapters, but generally just a lot of relational kind of, um, we are we, like, we're all in this together and we all chip in where we can. So there is no departmentalization of roles in that way. We all have a focus in like things that we can bring and things that we've gotten interested in. But then if somebody needs help with, finding a space or running a session or um, writing a submission because we're doing a submission to policy. You know, our work is really varied, like day-to-day, week-to-week. Um, and there's, uh, it's, it's really quite beautiful the way it comes together, but it's really difficult to, to, uh, to illustrate and to explain, even when you're in it, you know? It's, it's difficult. It's really organic. It's really rhizomatic, you know? If you can think of, like... Lots of sprouting roots everywhere um, and ideas and actions coming from all over. But yeah, the and the solidarity part is so important. Uh, solidarity with each other, solidarity with families and solidarity. There's a lot of good teachers out there who are really suffering in the profession because they're having to... Um, they ha- they're having to embody very oppressive policies um, and, uh, and they... And, 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 they can't, that's why CARE was born, you know, the Coalition of Anti-Racist Educators, because we would get contacted all the times by teachers who would like, I can't quit my job, but I fucking hate it. You know, so I'm like, I love the kids, but, I, you know, I, I, you know, what's happening to me? They, they literally changing my identity as an educator. I feel like I'm a state agent or, you know, a cop or something. Um, and so we really want to rescue education from carcerality. Really, that's what we need to do. And, um, and so solidarity with educators, solidarity with struggles that are not directly seemingly linked to education, whether it's immigration struggles, whether it's workplace struggles, um, 
whether he's struggles against the police and like, do you know what I mean? Like they're all linked, by the way, anyone who's listening. Um, they're all absolutely intimately linked. Um, but it might not always be obvious. And like, we want to make those connections obvious so that, um, yeah, we, we stand side by side, really. So th those, those are the things that we do. And so when you, if you look at the newsletter, if you look at our socials, but also if you're part of the collective, you kind of see how that solidarity works and we bring different things to meetings or we post, share with each other, like we need to support this family now, like they need now. Like the campaign is a good example for Sim Brown and his deportation. Um, and like we were honoured to be able to support that family. And um, it was an issue that became a case that became a cause um, because it kind of shows the full breadth of that school to prison to deportation um, pipeline. Um, and so it, it's, I'm so happy that we were able to hold that deportation, but that's just one case, right? And he's still trying to just clear his name, just the basics, you know, like, as always, people of colour fighting for the basics, trying to clear his name because that's not... Um, it wasn't, you know, he was convicted of something he didn't do. Anyways, I could talk forever, as you can see. That's one of the occupational hazards of being a recovering teacher. I warned you at the start. <laughs> no, that was great. I mean, I think from loving everything that you shared and for like... We, we talked a little bit before we started the recording we were like oh often like the how do you live the values if you're like working your organization is the question that people struggle the most with answering i mean firstly <laughs> smashed it secondly i think you've there's a there's almost like a short version a tagline for enemy that came out of that which is like rescuing education from carcerality which is a really nice short tagline or maybe uh, as you said before kadeem rescuing learning from carcerality mm. as maybe a better way of framing it um so i mean Amazing. So then, okay, so to to play us out, to wrap us up, um, as you said before, like, obviously, like, the the deportation um, case that you supported on, um, successfully resisting, like, as you said, it's just one case, right? And there's always going to be more things like that in the future, and the best way um, to resist things like that is to get involved and to, like, to be involved in organisations like yours. So what can people do if they're inspired by what you've heard or if they'd like to get involved in like the 27 different projects that you're running like what can people do if if people are already involved in in doing work um share it with us on um i mean definitely on the instagram account on our normal solutions account share it with us and that's a good way to see what what other people are doing um it doesn't and it's definitely not restricted to education, whether it's people restricting borders in healthcare, res um, resisting borders generally. Like, please share that work because knowing that uh, part of the struggle is knowing what other people are doing. Um, so that's more directed towards people already involved in some kind of organization um, or collective or mutual aid group um, or music band or, or writing workshop like please share please share with us what you're doing um and that can be the start of something i was going to say as well um just to echo what nara said um we've got uh, some upcoming merch that's coming out as well to support us we've got our crowdfunder as well um and obviously you can support um the movement and the wider coalition that we're a part of as well um 
Yeah, yeah. Amazing. Um, we'll definitely put links, uh, links in the show notes to the merch, crowdfunders, uh, socials, things like that. I, for one, am very excited for the mention of merch. <laughs> definitely get involved in some crowdfunding merch. Um, I, I, was feel, I feel weird. I, now, mate. Yeah, literally. Yeah. But I feel I always feel weird buying like merch for a group that I'm not a part of because it's like why would I do this? But I feel like now I've talked to you, this is less weird. So I'm going to get involved. I'm going to buy some. Uh, amazing! Thank you so much, uh, Zara. Anything else to add? Just to add with what I said before, we also have a monthly newsletter. So as well as reaching us, reaching out to us on socials, that's something where it could go where, uh, you know, we 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 do interviews from time to time in there. So if there's something that you're working on and you want to speak about, maybe it's not because not all work can end up in like a, a link to be shared. Sometimes it's something that is very in person. So I also direct people towards our newsletter um, as a way to build something. Amazing. Can they sign up to that on the website as well? Yeah. And sorry to the editor in advance because I know that's going to be weird to like deal with. But yeah, yeah, it's, it's on our website. No, that's mint. I love it. Um, this is great. Um, I can add, I can add a couple of bits. Please do. Yeah. I mean, it's all been said to be honest, the key things have been said in addition to what's been said, um, like we need more people to join, of course, our day-to-day organizing, but also we need friends and supporters who might not have the time, um, to give you know, to do internal organising or day-to-day organising, but can support in other ways that can be really, really powerful. So I want people to think about what power, what influence they have where they are and how can they help build power and and the coalitional work. For example, by amplifying, by inviting, including, uplifting, centering lived experience, not exploiting it, but not being extractive with it, you know, um, how can you build parent peer support where you are if you're a parent for example being mindful of positionality because you know your positionality as a as a white middle class non-disabled person will be different to you know the positionality of someone who's you know uh, has got english as a second language migrant from a you know working class you know with a precarious job background etc so to think about that when you're pulling together resources and groups but definitely think about that um, I also want people to, especially educate, this is particularly for educators, for teachers, to speak up. I know it's scary, but to actually be courageous because education, young people, children, like, need, they don't need saviours, but they need us to use our voice right now. Um, education in particular is, is uh, all spheres of our social lives are under assault, um, but particularly education and author- authoritarianism has no place in the classroom and we really need to use our voice and oppose and resist call it out and uh don't go and reinvent shit like if you want to help with a particular cause whether it's police in school whether it's prison school exclusion go and figure out who is already doing the work and support them um and finally yeah please help us with the moratorium we really need a ban on exclusions in the wake of the pandemic. Like the last thing children and young people need right now is to be kicked out of school. So uh, help us to disrupt the narratives and, you know, to shift 
the frame of like who is deser deserving of care, love and, and education ultimately. I mean, what a list. <laughs> Thank I you know, so I'm much. very demanding. I am known for being demanding. I mean, you're fighting. You've, I read your vision statement. You've got a big struggle ahead. You've got a lot of stuff you want to do in the next five and ten years. So all aboard. Yeah. People. Uh, People we burn out, right? <laughs> and that's why the care bit is so important so thank you so much uh zara kadeem nirad for for joining um it has been a genuine pleasure um and uh feel free to to unmute now and say goodbye thank you take for care thank you for listening to my bad Thanks jokes so much. Thank you to Nirad, Kadeem and Zara from NME for joining us on this episode of the Resistant Youth Podcast. Thanks as well to Kareem Zamara and Klaus for the backing music. And shout out to Rowan for doing all the transcriptions on this season. To find out more about No More Exclusions, check out their website, nomoreexclusions.com and their Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook are all in the show notes, so check them out there. And to find out more about Resist Renew as a facilitation and training collective, our website is resistrenew.com. We are on all the socials, and if you want to support the production of this podcast, check us out on patreon.com forward slash resistrenew. That's all for this week. Catch you next time.